Hello and welcome to another episode of A Slice of Health, the Candid Health Chat podcast, where we slice away health truth from health fiction. Join me and my friends as we challenge common health myths via chit chat, powered by several cups of coffee. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on social media and do visit us at a sliceofhealth.club. Let's get to today's episode. On today's episode, we have Dr. Olamide Craig. Anyone who reads Bella Niger knows that he is a fan favourite on bellaniger.com where he also has a health column. Dr. Olamide Craig is a double certified family and occupational health physician. He's a Bella Niger online columnist, a YouTube content creator, a blogger and an influencer. He is determined to spread positivity and be a light that guides the hearts of men to a greater truth. He also has a combined diploma in sex therapy and the psychology of interpersonal relationships and relationship counselling. In 2017, he and his wife launched surulelelove.com, which is Nigeria's first full-service online dating and matrimonial platform. Please join me to give Dr. Olamide Craig a warm welcome. Today, we have Dr. Olamide Craig with us, and we are going to be talking about erectile dysfunction, asking the question, is erectile dysfunction a purely psychological problem? Welcome, Dr. Craig. Thank you very much for having me. Could you tell us a bit about yourself? Okay, um, that's, that's probably the hardest thing to ask. Um, oh dear. Okay, tell us about <laughs> your interests. What are you passionate about? Okay, um, so um, my name is Alamide Craig. I am a medical doctor. I am uh, a Christian sex therapist. I am a Bible educator and I love all things mental health. And of recent, I've gotten into veteran health as well. Um, so my passions sort of stem, I think, from childhood growing up, growing up in the church and um, loving God, but also then developing this in, intense passion for um, sexual purity when I was in secondary school. That then led to um, a desire to study sexuality. And finally, after I got my medical degree, I explored uh, sexual therapy as uh, um, as treatment for sexual dysfunctions and yeah that's that's me in a nutshell that is awesome thank you so much for coming on today's episode so we asked is erectile dysfunction purely psychological um and you've said it's not so what mm. what is is there a part of it that is purely psychological so um, it's interesting you, you you put it that way. I think erectile dysfunction, by definition, is definitely um, more geared towards the men. Yeah. Um, and while we know that as a species we're sort of the same men and women, you know, there's all equality and all of that. But the way that the men's sexual response is is quite different from the female sexual response and there's still a lot of debate out about whether men are visual and things like that and whether that's just stereotypical but definitely in terms of the physiology of the sexual response we know that the male sexual response is driven and triggered by the brain so when a man sees something that he desires or thinks about something that he desires then he can trigger a certain cascade of physiological responses which will lead to the erection. So without the psychological aspect of it, then it is impossible to have a normal erection. So what I'm saying is even if their medical problems don't exist, even if there's no diabetes or hypertension, all the other things that we know can cause erectile dysfunction, if the psychological part of it is absent, if there is no desire, then 
an erection will either be incomplete or absent. Okay. So that's quite interesting. So you said quite a couple of things. You talked about medical conditions that can cause mm. erectile dysfunction, and we'd probably come towards that um, in a bit. Mm. Um, but tell us a bit more about these psychological problems that can then cause the erection, seen as the male erection is so linked to the, the psychological process. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, clearly one of the most common things, and it's, it's, it's a staple of sitcoms and comedy shows is performance pressure mm. so if a gentleman is either thinking about engaging in a sexual act with either a new partner or has setting expectations of himself or this expectations from his partner that might lead to anxiety and that anxiety can then shut down the normal physiological process which should lead to erection so um, performance pressures is something that that definitely can cause that um other um psychiatric conditions like depression anxiety um even things like personality disorder uh bipolar disorder all the spectrum of the affective disorders can cause uh, some degree of erectile dysfunction um i think it's important to note that erectile dysfunction is a spectrum so um, it will vary from person to person, but what we're looking what we're looking at as a definition is um, an inability to maintain a sufficient enough erection within penis to complete sexual uh, intercourse. Okay, thank you for that. So that was great. So still staying on that side of things. In what ways do sort of men who are suffering from erectile dysfunction, so an inability to maintain an erection, to fulfill sexual intercourse or sexual activity, in what way would they present, let's say, if it was due to um, psychological problems, anxiety or depression? Yeah. Um, So in a typical sort of clinical setting or a GP setting, it would would be... uh, a gentleman who's coming in and saying, I enough visual stimulation or arousal, but when it's time to either perform the sexual act or complete the sexual act, then they lose flaccidity. And flaccidity will be different for different people. You've got different levels of erection, um, full erect or say 90%, 60% and thereon. Uh, and if at any point during the sexual act, a gentleman loses erection before climax, or even for some gentlemen, they're able to maintain an erection after ejaculation. And we need to, to um, realize that it's really a personal thing. For some men, they're happy with the way things are. And for them, they'll never present because they don't think it's a problem. But for some others, they, they may be unhappy that um, 90% through the sex act, they're unable to um, sort of start again or re get a new erection and, and continue the process. So it will depend on the gentleman and, and ideally or, or typically they tend to come and say, I can't get it up or I can't keep it up. And usually it will be a partner that's complaining or it will be sort of a self-esteem issue, not being able to complete the sexual act. Hmm. That's quite interesting. You said something about performance anxiety, which obviously mm. that, is, um, that is quite significant and that, and that does play play a role quite significantly in erectile dysfunction Mm. Mm. why is it that um some men still have performance anxiety with long-term partners okay 
it's, in, it's interesting you put it in the context of um, long-term partnerships because you'd expect that with longevity of a partnership, with longevity of a sexual relationship, one would be uh, able to get used to their partner, know what they like, know how to go about it. And, and there's something about the muscle memory that just makes it easy. But unfortunately, because human beings are such complex individuals, there is a tendency for us not to be particularly truthful with our lovers. We may pretend that we like something when we don't. We may, um, you know, fake orgasms or moan louder than we really need to or want to. We may put on a show, which is exactly what a lot of sexual relationships have become. And when a partner then identifies that something's amiss, or if they feel personally that they're not doing what they should, then performance anxiety can come. On the other hand, the mere fact that a relationship has lasted many years, 5, 10, 20 years, does then key into the issue of familiarity. And depending on how far into the person's life they're in, they could be in a midlife crisis, they may be questioning themselves and their virility, they may be questioning their technique, they may be questioning their ability to please their partner, and all of those anxieties come in. It's important to mention that it's normal and it's healthy to question these things, but if you keep them in, rather than have a discussion with your partner and communicate openly about the sexual experience, then that can lead to all sorts of ruminations and questioning, and that can then cause the performance anxiety in the first place. Mm. And I think that is something that, well, clinically I find men are more likely to do. So to internalize things and not verbalize their concerns. So how would you encourage men to actually speak to their partners about these things or speak to their doctors about the difficulties they're facing? I think perhaps speaking to a doctor is important, but speaking to your partner is even more so. Um, there is no easy way to do it, but one of the um, sex therapists um, from the United States has said the better way to communicate to your partner about sex is during sex. If you are talking about sex at the dinner table, over coffee, you know, maybe when your wife's doing her uh, manicure and pedicure, it may seem a little out of place. Um, when you are having sex, there, there sort of is an unspoken acceptance about, you know, dirty talk and being able to express oneself. So, oh, I don't like it when you do that. Or could you try this differently? Or I'm feeling really self-conscious about the erection I've got today. Or I'm sorry I'm not able to please you like I used to. And you could get a response like, oh, don't be silly. I, I'm, actually, I'm absolutely happy with the way things are. Or, yeah, I'm glad you've brought that up. Um, would you like to try this a different way? Or how would you like me to do this? And that way, during the sex act, or immediately after the sex act, when there is a safe space to talk about sexuality, you're more likely to get a response rather than at sort of an, you know, inopportune time when someone else is thinking about something. And was that by any chance Esther Perel that said that? It was Esther Perel. Yeah. <laughs> Esther Perel, I love her. Okay, so um, just staying a little bit on the psychological element of things and in terms of talking to one's partner and safe spaces, exact. What yeah. happens when um, a man doesn't feel that he can actually talk to his partner about it or potentially his um, um, erectile dysfunction is actually a sign of 
perhaps more deeply rooted psychological problems or yeah. um, mental health disorders? Yeah. Um, so, for instance, one of the paradoxes of mental health and sexuality is that a mental health condition like depression or anxiety can cause erectile dysfunction. Mm. Uh, and um, so if a person has depression, one of the hallmarks of depression is anhedonia, which is technically a term for lack of pleasure or lack of pleasure in things that ordinarily they would find pleasurable. When the depression is treated by your doctor, they typically will give you an antidepressant. Unfortunately, one of the major side effects of antidepressants is an erectile dysfunction. And they're coming from different pathways. While the depression itself is causing the uh, erectile dysfunction from more of a psychological point of view, the medication to treat depression is causing the erectile dysfunction from a physiological point of view. And that's, that's an unfortunate thing. So your question specifically is if, if it's a more deep-rooted physiological problem like depression, anxiety, or other sorts of affective disorders, how then do we move past this, especially if they're unable to speak to their partners? I think this is where speaking to your physician, your clinician, your GP comes in. And there's several modalities of cognitive behavior therapy that are proven to be very efficient and effective in this in this situation you've explained everything as to the kind of erections that you're getting and the last lack of sufficient erection to um fulfill sexual intercourse um what is the workup normally like so we know that yes they'll they'll probably ask about you know your mood anxiety and potentially talk about psychological problems if you do have an underlying one but what mm. what is the workup like in terms of investigations what what are they trying to look for okay i think um primarily we should look at so for 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 when the gentleman comes into the practice and sees his doctor before we go to investigation a clinician should often want to take a deep and detailed sexual history um is it a new partner? What's the percentage in their own estimation of the erection? Does the erection last how many minutes? How deep into the sexual uh, act are they able to go? Um, is this erection sufficient enough for penetration? And is there premature ejaculation as well? We can also ask um, uh, medical medication history. Um, are you taking any medication at present? Because we do know that drugs can cause it. But Having taken a detailed history, we can then look at things like um, a blood workup. So most importantly would be a serum glucose level because we're looking for diabetes. Um, a lipid panel, so a full uh, serum lipids, because the, the little blood vessels that uh, make erection possible can get clogged in a similar way that the blood vessels in the heart can get clogged. Um, thyroid stimulating hormone and thyroxine levels are also important to do because um, the, thyroid, the thyroid itself is like the body's thermostat. And if you've got too little levels of thyroxine, you may feel kind of very low and it will cause a low uh, libido as well. And then for some gentlemen, it might be important to do a testosterone level, an early morning testosterone level, because at advances of age, testosterone, even though not similar to the climacteric in women, testosterone can dip. And if there is a sufficient enough dip, it may mean that this gentleman might just need some supplementation. So generally, those are the bloods that we would be looking at doing um, in addition to a full detailed medical uh, and, and medication history. Mm. 
Okay. And so what if that blood work comes back and um, it's, let's say, something like diabetes, which mm. is also quite common in the Afro-Caribbean um, population. Yeah. Um, how do we then go about managing the diabetes and the erectile dysfunction? Okay. So a, a recent study has shown that um, tight glycemic control, so if the blood sugar is kept within the agreed limits for diabetes, um, and the HbA1c over the last three, four months is uh, found to be normal, or at least within range, then there are improved indices for the erectile flow. And that's because diabetes as a disease does cause the um, arterioles, which are the little blood vessels within the penis. Um, the increase of sugar within the blood can cause a dysfunction in the way that they open and close. And if you think about erection as a physiological process, what you're looking at is opening the blood vessels to let blood into the penis, but closing them as well to stop blood from coming out. And if you have any kind of vascular problem, either um, from cardiovascular disease or from lipid problems, or in this case from diabetes, that can cause a dysfunction in the way that those blood vessels work. Hmm. So if we can keep the sugar levels controlled, then ideally, either if that's with diet, exercise, or with hypoglycemic agents, unfortunately not with insulin, because insulin is diabetogenic in itself, and the more insulin that you need, the more diabetogenic you become. But if, if a person is able to control their blood sugars with these other things, um, then the erectile strength should improve. Hmm. That's really important. So keeping one's diabetes well under control. What other yes. things could people do sort of in terms of lifestyle that might actually mm -hmm. contribute? Because you've mentioned um, a couple of things in terms of how the blood vessels can become remodeled and that can mm -hmm. also affect the blood flow to the penis. So is there yeah. anything that people could do actively mm -hmm. in terms of lifestyle that can actually reduce their risk um, of yeah. developing erectile dysfunction? So um, some of the lifestyle factors that can predispose a patient or put a patient at risk to having erectile dysfunction are things like obesity. So if a person is overweight, uh, a BMI above, I think it's 25 or 26, can then make a person more susceptible to other medical conditions in general, but also the obesity in itself can cause erectile dysfunction. A sedentary lifestyle, so unfortunately we live in very uh, urban societies, people are sitting long hours at desks at work and are not really out and about. So if you're, if you're sitting longer than eight hours a day, then that can cause erectile dysfunction, not in itself particularly, but just because a sedentary lifestyle can predispose you to diabetes, high blood pressure and other things as well. Um, smoking is the key one because smoking affects the blood vessels. And as we said previously, anything that can cause blood vessels to be deranged can cause a dysfunction in that as well. Um, alcohol, strangely, um, for millennia, men have turned to alcohol as an aphrodisiac, supposedly to help them with getting an erection. But anyone who's tried to take um, alcohol to, 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 to help with a sexual event will tell you that while it might increase your, um, while, while it might make you a bit bolder, it might increase your courage. Unfortunately, it does not 
do very well for direction because then it gives you a soft direction. And that's because alcohol can be a diuretic as well. So um, obesity, sedentary lifestyle, alcohol, smoking, um, fried foods and all those kind of things can cause you to increase your risk of having erectile dysfunction. So basically all the good stuff. <laughs> all the good stuff. <laughs> And um, just staying on that a little bit, so obviously Viagra um, is a household term now um, and it can easily be accessible via chemists um, in England and in quite a lot of places around the world. What would you say to people who have obviously they've they've known Viagra growing up because Mm -hmm. television is everywhere so Mm -hmm. they've had this problem and they just go straight to the chemist pick it up and Mm -hmm. have been using it for years without ever having had a workup what would you say to someone let's say who is researching online and about to buy it on Amazon yeah so there there is definitely a place for um drugs like Viagra and Cialis that's the phosphodiesterase uh, inhibitors there's at the time they were released i think in the in the in the 90s or in the early 2000s it was a revolutionary drug it helped so many men with uh, erectile dysfunction and it, and it probably saved quite a lot of marriages and relationships however we know that with any medication and just especially with uh, viagra there are quite a number of side effects and if your doctor doesn't know that you're taking viagra i, I would advise that you do let them know because if you have comorbidities like hypertension if you've had a heart attack if your blood pressure is not very well controlled if you've got diabetes if you've got prostate problems then viagra might be contraindicated in other words meaning that it may not be a good fit for you as a person so i would say yes do your research go ahead go online find out what's available to buy on the chemist but do let your doctor know because you may need to have some blood test or some maybe an ECG or something to be sure that you are safe enough to take the medication. Side effects like changing color of vision, um, side effects like a prolonged um, erection that can last several hours that can cause uh, damage to the penile tissues and other side effects like uh, flushing headaches. Those are quite common with Viagra and unless you speak to your doctor, you may not know that you're getting these troubles. Mm. That's really important, speaking to your doctor before starting um, Viagra and having your cardiovascular workup done. Um, and I've, I've often had this question come from patients as well, and I don't know if, you, if you've encountered it, where patients say that um, they're fine when they're masturbating and they can have a mm-hmm. complete sexual arousal with their erection. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. once they get to their partner, that's it. There's, there's, there's nothing. Yeah. What do you say to patients in that situation who are absolutely fine during masturbation, but... Mm-hmm are not able to maintain an erection during intercourse with a partner? In my experience, I think a lot of those kind of uh, instances may have a psychological aspect to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so typically during a, a clinical workup, what we're looking at is, is this a, is this a problem with the plumbing? Does your penis work? Does the, uh, do the blood vessels work? Or is this a problem with your mind? If the plumbing is fine, if you're able to sustain an erection and have an orgasm during um, uh, manual stimulation, masturbation, then it may be a suggestion that the plumbing itself is fine. It's just that when you are in the act with the partner, then 
you have maybe some hang-ups that you need to deal with, maybe some emotional problems or psychological uh, barriers that need to be crossed. Having said that, there is evidence that um, masturbation as an act depends on how a gentleman does it. Most men from childhood would masturbate in secret. There's a lot of stigma and taboo around it. So the goal of masturbation tends to be a quick orgasm just to get off. Whereas with a partner, the goal of sexual intercourse is not just a quick orgasm, but you want to enjoy your partner, enjoy your partner's body, give them pleasure as well as getting pleasure yourself. So it is possible that the plumbing is fine, the psychology is fine, it's just that a gentleman has trained himself to come too quickly, so um, either the ejaculation comes and then the erection fails uh, because they've trained themselves through masturbation to be sort of a quick in and out. So the guidance now is to encourage gentlemen, if you are going to masturbate, to masturbate with the intention of not just pleasuring yourself, but also pleasuring your partner. So delayed ejaculation, helping to increase the time uh, of latency between um, um, each ejaculation or each climax, so that when you do come to a sexual experience with your partner, you're able to fulfill both your desires, not just yours. I'm really glad that you touched on that, actually, in terms of masturbation training, um, the body to come too quickly. And that brings us nicely into premature ejaculation, which is basically what that is. Mm. Um, could you tell us a bit about premature ejaculation and the sort of stresses that that brings in itself? Okay. So um, without trying to be too technical, the ejaculation can be divided into two phases. You can have an orgasmic ejaculation and a non-orgasmic ejaculation. Um, ejaculation is just the emission of semen or sperm from uh, the gentleman's penis at the end. What will some people say it shouldn't? It shouldn't. Um, it shouldn't signal the end of the sex act, but it tends to. In most relationships, at the end of the sex act, the gentleman um, has a climax or ejaculation. Now. Uh, premature ejaculation will depend on the individual. For some people um, in a relationship, five minutes of sexual intercourse is more than enough. For some other people, 20 minutes seems to be fine. And some people want to go um, several hours. So it will depend on what the patient or the client says is normal for them or what their desires are. What are their expectations? How many um, minutes does your partner desire? And that's on the one hand. And then the other, other hand, it's how long does it take for the person with whom you are having sexual intercourse with to have a climax or to feel that they have enjoyed the sexual experience? And so if um, a gentleman's having uh, sexual relations with one lady who needs seven minutes to climax and he can go 10 hours, then that's absolutely fine. He hasn't got premature ejaculation. But if another gentleman who does seven minutes is with another lady who requires maybe 15 minutes to climax, he may come too quickly for that sexual interaction. And there might be dissatisfaction, even though had he been with someone else whose uh, um, time frame was different, there might have been satisfaction. So it, I say all of that to just point to the fact that it, it's quite individual. It depends on the situation and the scenario, and there's no one size fits all. So having said that, maybe we can then hazard an, an attempt to define it and say premature ejaculation 
premature ejaculation can then be defined as a person, a gentleman having a climax or a seminal emission before they feel they should. I don't know, does that make sense? Does that work as a definition? Yeah, that definitely works. Um, <clears throat> what if we made it a bit more complicated? So tell me. The seven minutes that you've described is mm-hmm. actually, I mean, that, that would probably work in several situations. Yes. Um, as opposed to, I mean, the, the 10, the 10 hour guy, that is probably more tantric. <laughs> um, that's probably more tantric related. But let's say the yes. seven minute guy, let's say that, okay, the seven minute guy is all right. But what about, mm-hmm. you know, people complaining about one minute men and two minute men? Yeah. yeah. Isn't that a bit more pathological? I think that, and this is, this is, this is my personal opinion. I think that sex is a journey and I think that many people start the journey but don't progress. So if if we think about any sport or any activity, playing a piano, learning the violin, um, running 100 meters, the first time that someone embarks on that activity, they're unlikely to do very well. And as you train, as you progress, as you get better, then the activity improves and you are able to break records, play Bach or Handel, you're able to uh, play in a concerta. Whatever it is that we set our minds to do, we can get better at. And I think that a one minute man or a three minute man or whatever um, the stereotype is, is probably simply just someone who hasn't progressed in the sex act. It's not just enough to have an erection, put your penis in a vagina, thrust for a few minutes, and then have an orgasm. We must, as gentlemen, take responsibility, not just for our pleasure, but for the pleasure of our partners as well. And I don't know anyone who started having sex and was fantastic at it on the first try. We all had awkward sexual experiences that were embarrassing or we came too soon or there was not enough lubrication and that's absolutely normal because those are the teasing problems those are the starts of what should ordinarily become a fantastic sexual relationship so if people are willing to to try and put in the effort if they're willing to learn what their partner likes if they're willing to delay their own gratification then i think that rather than just a pathological problem it might be more of um, a learning curve, someone who hasn't actually taken the time to, to put in the training to become better at sex. That's really important. I like how you, you talked about it as a journey, which it is because as your body changes, then your journey changes as well. And, exactly. um, but you said something about delayed gratification, mm-hmm. which obviously anyone who wants to attain success in any area of life has to learn the art of delayed gratification but in our current society where everything is instant our food is instant we want instant success so we go on a um you know a reality tv show um sex is instant so you know you can get pornography everywhere anywhere even on a you know on a on an ad for a car it's it's hyper sexualized how do we then retrain people to say actually what you're getting in as much as it seems pleasurable it's not actually leading you to that pinnacle of the sexual experience that you truly desire yeah i think that as a generation and as 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 a people are are our mindset needs to change from something that 
we get immediately instant gratification to delayed gratification. It's hard to say, to speak generally for everything, but for sex, I think that it all boils down to communication. We need to have open, safe spaces where people can talk about sex. There is still so much stigma and taboo around something that everyone will eventually do. Unless you're called to celibacy or you're in a monastery or a nun, unless you uh, have got um, physical neurological problems that mean that you cannot have sexual relations, most people at some point in their life either after they've gotten into a long-term uh, loving relationship, will have sexual intercourse. Um, you look at a child who was born yesterday, give them 20 years, give them 30 years, they will get into a sexual relationship, they will get married, they will have their own children. So it's, it's, it's funny that we shroud sexuality with so much stigma when we know that everyone will or is going to do it. If we get safe spaces, if we get a place where people can actually talk about sex in a non-judgmental manner, either in social groups or uh, in religious groups or among peers, even among elders to younger ones, then we are able to take that stigma off the table and actually begin to discuss sex as it should be. And I'm glad that you've got this podcast and you've created this opportunity and hope that as people listen, not just to two doctors talking about sex, but just two individuals who are exploring sexuality in a safe way, they will be able to open up to their partners and say, you know what, I think I want to be better at this. I know that, you know, our three minute romps give you pleasure, but I can see that there's a sort of dissatisfaction when I come too early and I want to get better at this. Talk to sex therapists, talk to sex educators, go online, explore. There are many, many ways that men can learn to um, develop their sexual experience, develop their sexual prowess so that the journey can progress and get better. That's great. Thank you so much for that. So let's talk about sort of um, management of premature ejaculation. So we already mentioned one in terms of changing the way you masturbate so mm -hmm. that it's not just for you to get to your own pleasure and move on, but actually mm -hmm. thinking about the pleasure of someone else. Any other um, ideas in terms of trying to prolong the erection so you've already touched on one which is the um, viagra phosphodiesterate inhibitors um, viagra was uh, i think initially made by pfizer the patent ran out a couple of years ago and there are lots and lots of generic alternatives out there again like we said earlier please speak to your doctor or your gp before you start taking it i would usually prescribe viagra for gentlemen who have a medical problem that's causing their um, erectile dysfunction. So diabetes, high blood pressure, cholesterol, all the things that we have mentioned before. Um, testosterone injections is another thing. So if a gentleman has low testosterone, then it is clinically proven that if we can boost those levels, then libido will get better and erections are stronger. They are harder and the gentleman is more able to complete the sexual act. Having said that, the other things that we could look at for uh, psychological problems is talking to a therapist, getting your depression sorted. We have talked about the paradoxical effect of antidepressants on um, libido and erectile dysfunction. But if you're able to deal with the psychological side of things, then it's possible that that gentleman may be able to attain a sufficient enough erection to have a sexual relation. There are other things that are popular that do work but 
they may have uh, sort of a high risk attached to them. There's uh, something called Yohimbi, which apparently does work quite well. Um, there's ginseng, which should also be quite potent. And there's Buruntashi, which is uh, the Hausa aphrodisiac. Apparently that works as well, Casabreco. There are quite a lot of things that are available at your corner shops, but I would say just like with the medicinal ones as well, before you try any herbal preparations for erectile dysfunction, please speak to your doctor. The trouble with these uh, herbal preparations is that it's difficult to dose them. You know, how much um, Buruntashi should I take? How much of the Yohimbe should I ingest? Should I take a bite or two? Should I mix it with one glass of water or three? Uh, and because of that, the dose-dependent effect may cause um, adverse effects to the liver, to the kidney, uh, and other organs in the system as well. So in a nutshell, medical treatment like um, Viagra Cialis, psychological treatments like getting your depression under control, CBT, and their herbal preparations as well, which you will obviously need to speak to your GP about. That's great. Thank you so much for that. Yeah, definitely. A lot of people then tend to turn to aphrodisiacs um, that they source through, you know, unspoken means just because they feel a bit embarrassed to speak to mm. the doctors about it. And it's just trying to destigmatize it, that actually speaking to a doctor about it, speaking to your partner about it. Once you put something out in the open, I think the, the power that it has over you um, does start to minimize as well. Absolutely. Um, so thank you so much for that. So before we leave, if you give our champions uh, championship points, something to take away bite size that they can share with everyone um, that maybe hasn't listened to the podcast or is yet to listen to this episode. Okay. So um, I think three things that we can take away from this discussion. First of all, sex is a beautiful and natural aspect of a loving relationship. And I think that talking about sex should be something that we all should do. Um, we should do it in safe spaces. We should be able to talk to our partners about it. And definitely you should be able to talk to your general practitioner or your clinician or physician about it. Erectile dysfunction is different for different people. It could be um, psychological, it could be medical, and it could be caused by emotional problems or uh, psych psychiatric problems as well. So um, we've talked in this podcast about methods that you can try to help especially with treatment from your GP or from your psychiatrist so do engage with that as well and finally um, we've talked about uh, the myths of sexuality and um, what things should and shouldn't be done um, I believe as a sex educator and a sex therapist that um, so long as you have a partner who's understanding and you're able to pursue that journey rather than looking at it as just your own pleasure, but looking out for your partner as well, having that open and honest conversation, then we're all going to be able to get to the point where sexual experiences are beautiful for everyone. That is lovely. Thank you so much for coming on today's episode. We really appreciate you taking the time. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us on today's episode. 
do share this podcast with two people who have not heard about us before. Remember that this podcast in no way replaces advice from your own doctor or physician. Do subscribe and follow us on social media. Leave us a review on iTunes so that others can access the amazing content. And do join the club at aslicehealth.club and drop us some suggestions or questions that you might have. Don't forget to be a health champion wherever you go by separating health fact from health fiction.